listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Our guest has been working exclusively in the legal industry for 17 years. Now, the lessons that you learn today don't apply just to law firms. They apply to any professional services firm or to people that are in B2B sales. So make sure you pay close attention to what Steve Fretzen shares with you today. And our topic for today is sales-free selling. Now, Steve has written several books. I've read one of those, and it was fantastic, and we're going to put those links in the show notes. But for the past 17 years, he's devoted his whole career to helping lawyers learn what they never really learned in law school, business development and marketing. In addition to writing four books on legal marketing and business development, Steve has a highly rated podcast called Be That Lawyer, and we're going to put that link on the show notes also. And he's also been featured in national media, such as Cranes, Entrepreneur.com, the Chicago Tribune. He's been published by Attorney at Law Magazine, the National Law Review, the American Bar Association, many others. And I hope that you get some great ideas from my discussion with Steve today. There's some great insights, and he's got a great style that I know is is something that you're going to enjoy listening to. This podcast is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now here's my friend Steve Fretzen talking about sales-free selling. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. I've got our special guest, Steve Fretzen, with us today. And our topic is questioning and qualifying client prospects. Steve, thanks for joining me on the show. Hey, thanks, Scott. So happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. I'm a fan. I've been following you for years, and I'm glad that we connected. And I read your book, Sales Free Selling. I've got the others in the queue, and I'm excited about reading those. And let me kind of as we're going to talk about questioning and qualifying client prospects, let me kind of start with this question. The book title, Sales-Free Selling, what is your goal with the book? And tell us about what that title means. Yeah, this is the first of four books I've written. And Sales-Free Selling was really uh, coined to release the pressure that we have to go out and sell people our services. And lawyers are taught you know, to go on what are called pitch meetings, which is essentially them talking about their firm, them talking about their solutions, providing free consulting, talking rates. And my whole philosophy is to flip that on its head and say, let's not prescribe before we diagnose. Let's spend more time, you know, building a relationship, questioning, qualifying, demonstrating empathy, and the sale will happen more naturally without you having to sell or having to spend a lot of time talking about yourself, which most lawyers really appreciate because ultimately none of them got into law to become salespeople to sell legal services. Right, Yet that's right. what determines their sort of value in the in the marketplace is them bringing in clients and being that rainmaker. Yeah, I know. And everybody wants to be a rainmaker. Nobody wants to be a salesperson, but yeah. you know, they got to sell the work. And there's the S word again. You know, And yeah. so, and so uh, I know you coach lawyers one-on-one. What have you seen are the common, I'd say, the shared concerns or reluctant areas that lawyers have when they start having to approach some of these strategies that you suggest to them? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with what I call head trash, which is the the six-inch problem between their ears, thinking about everything they need to do or thinking about how much they hate doing this and how much easier the billable hour is just just to sit behind the desk and crank out hours. And they're not really being forward thinking about that 
business development is a learned skill. It's something that through books and through videos, through code, direct coaching, whatever it is that you decide, it's something that has become a mandatory skill set for lawyers who want to have control over their freedoms. And you know this in dealing with lawyers all day, that the ones that have the books of business are portable and have control and can dictate their future. And the ones that don't, if they get put in a bad culture, if they get put in with, they got a crazy boss, they just, they don't enjoy the work they're doing. They can't change. It really creates a lot of, of negativity and, and negative drama in their lives. And they end up not enjoying being a lawyer. So we, we really want to get them into the mindset that you're, no one's born a natural rainmaker. That's a lie. Okay. There are people that have better personalities than others, but what I'm teaching lawyers every single day is that these are methodologies, systems, and language that can be used as a way of saying, hey, step one, do this, say that, step two. And it's more complicated than that in, in the details. But the idea is that it is a learned skill and it is something that can can be a game changer as it relates to someone being able to go out and dictate their future versus someone letting the market or their firm dictate their future. Yeah, I've seen that. You're absolutely right. And I've had a lot of conversations in my work as a legal recruiter talking to partners where some of them say, I really want to move. And I believe that most partners move because of either leadership issues or strategy issues. It's one of those two buckets. And some of them, for whatever reason, I just can't stay here anymore. But, ah, oh man, they're paying yeah. me too much for me to leave. And if I go anywhere else, I'm not going to earn that. And I got to start all over again. And, and I've seen some people, it's like they missed the boat in terms of doing it, in terms of the life cycle of their career. But fortunately, I've seen a lot of people that realize I've got to learn how to do this. And I like what you said that this is a learned skill. And I like the way that you approach this. I think it's a, it's a fantastic way that kind of takes all the head trash away from it and makes it replicable, makes it a systematic way that people can actually follow that. And I like the way you, in your book, Sales Free Selling, which I'd highly recommend, I like the story format of that, that this is a fable or, or a parable. Parable, a par- yeah. parable. And I like the fact that you got some real nuggets in here. And let's kind of drill down on questioning and qualifying client prospects. Let's just say you're coaching someone and they just, they're not understanding this. What are kind of the, the big rocks in the bucket, so to speak, that they need to keep top of mind as they question and qualify their prospects? Right. And so I, I just want to set the table a little bit here for what you're asking me. So in order to get someone to answer questions and to take a meeting in that direction, there's two steps that I highly recommend you go through prior to asking you know, questions and digging down on someone's problems. Number one is we have to spend a few minutes building rapport. And that doesn't mean we're talking about the weather or sports or things that are just you know, kind of, uh, you know, BS topics we come up with because we we haven't done our research. We haven't figured out what is something about this person that we can talk about that's relevant to us both. And I've got a cat and a dog and I was talking to a guy the other day, he's got a couple cats and we just started talking about how crazy cats are and how, you know, <laughs> how just different they are than dogs. And we got into this. And this how dogs natural, are better. Yeah. Dogs, and are, dogs better. are so much better. No. Uh, don't tell my wife that she'll, she'll divorce me because she's so in love with our cat. Um, and we do have a cool cat, but Um, The idea is that we built that natural affinity. We built that like and that trust ahead of a business conversation. So number one is we need to spend a few minutes building relationship and building trust. Number two is I always establish what I call an agenda or a game plan with for a meeting with a prospective client. And so the difference is, would you rather have the meeting go any direction possible or would you rather take control of the meeting and gain agreement 
that let's run this in a way that's going to end up as a win-win. And most prospects are going to agree they'd rather have a meeting that is fruitful on the way they spend their time and what gets accomplished. So one of the things I establish in an agenda, and there's a number of steps I, I don't think we'll get into, but I'll just share one, that I say to someone, you know, part of what I want to accomplish today is getting to know each other better to see if there's a fit. And Scott, one thing I'd love to do if you're okay with it is to spend some time asking you questions. Is that sure. going to be okay? Yeah. Right. And the prospect says, yeah, of course that's okay. And then I take it a step further and I say the following. I say, I ask, you know, one of the things I do as a coach is I, I try to drill down and ask some tougher questions and try to get to the bottom of things. Is that going to be all right as well? And I promise I won't step over any boundaries, but that is that is something I'd like to spend some time on today if you're open to that. That's great. So you're you're getting permission to go forward. Yeah, permission to ask questions and permission to ask tougher questions. Now, why am I doing that? Well, the next part of the meeting is going to be me asking questions and ultimately where I want to go, and an easy way to remember this is to think about an iceberg, okay? Most lawyers, if they ask any questions at all, it's going to be about the matter and that's really at the tip of the iceberg, okay? But where is all the ice? All the ice is hidden beneath the surface. It's way, way down below. 80, 90% of that iceberg's below the surface of the water. So an easy way to think about questioning is to think about starting at the tip of the iceberg and working our way slowly down. And at the bottom of the iceberg, that's where all of the emotional, personal reasons for change are happening. And I would say 90 plus percent of attorneys have absolutely no idea how to get to the bottom of that iceberg. So where do they feel comfortable? They feel comfortable at the tip of the iceberg asking, you know, what's going on that you need litigation or that you came to me? Person says, this is why I need litigation. They say, well, let me tell you what I can do for you. And all of a sudden they've gone from questioning to solving and selling and convincing and pitching. And that's a massive mistake in a solid process for how to run a meeting. Wow. You've just given us an entire three-day seminar in the last, in the last, in the <laughs> last five down. minutes. Yeah. Wow. And, 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 to... that's, and that's just the, the literal tip of the iceberg of what, what I've given you. When we start getting into the way questioning can be broken down so that you think about starting slow and soft and then moving it further and then going deeper and deeper and deeper. And ultimately the goal is to get the prospect to convince him or herself that they need you. And what have you sold or what have you shared? The answer is it should be very little. Yeah, right. That's right. I mean, you want them to be the one that says yes. So let me kind of go backwards a little bit. And I, and sure. I like what you talked about developing the rapport. And yeah. I think this is something I've seen as a balance. And I noticed that you talk about the different personality types, the DISC model. Are they a driver? Are they an influencer? Are they conscientious? How do they have to think about these things and how do you communicate to them? And I like the fact that you really address the nuance associated yeah. with teeing it up from the very beginning. And I've noticed from my own career, there are other people, if I don't know them well enough, I'm going to have to earn the right to build rapport. I'm going to have to earn the right to be able to talk about those things. I've got to really show that they don't need another friend. They need to know that I can solve their problem. How do you communicate that balance, that nuance to people, Steve, when you talk uh, to your your people that you're coaching. Right. So if we're talking about relationship building, which then dictates how you're going to run the rest of the meeting, because if you identify someone as a particular type of behavior style, which DISC does, okay, and DISC has been around for a long time, and I've been a distributor for about 20 years. Mm. And I teach my clients this subtle, this subtle art of human behavior and communication yeah. with different people. Yeah. And here's the thing. The old saying is, Scott, treat people the way you want to be treated. 
And what I've identified is that I'd rather think of it this way, treat people the way they want to be treated because not everybody wants to be treated the same way. And I'll give you a quick example. I'm a very high I, which is an influencer and a high D dominance. My wife is a teacher and she is an S, which stands for steadiness. Okay. She's a supporter. She's a teacher. She's a manager. She's someone that is, is very different than me and different than a lot of, you know, CEOs and GCs and people that we're meeting. So the way to get my wife to buy into something is to ask her about herself, to get her to share personal information about her life and what's going on with her, with our son or with her. She teaches an exercise class. And when we go out with friends, it's so funny to watch when someone asks her questions, how happy my wife becomes. And when they don't ask her questions, how frustrated I can tell she is sitting there listening to people talk about themselves the whole time. So it's, it's how do we get her involved and engaged in the conversation? So the point of all that is, We need to spend a few minutes when we're building rapport, listening to the way someone communicates with their body and their words to identify their their behavior style. And not everybody's going to do this without training, right? But the idea is that if we do that, we can start to pick up a dominant person you know, wants to be listened to and like they want to tell stories, they want to be the, the, the life of the show. And then someone that's maybe more of an introvert, you know, you're going to have to ask more open-ended questions and get them kind of talking slowly and, and start to make a friend. And maybe you need to get, provide more detail or ask more detailed right. questions to get them bought into the conversation. So that's really a subtle part of then what allows us to ask questions later on in the meeting is if we know what their behavior style is, we can then alter the way we're running the meeting, the way we're communicating to get better better engagement from that individual. Yeah, that makes sense. So what what are some of the common pitfalls you've seen attorneys fall into as they really learn how to to pursue some of the concepts that you're talking about? It's just in our nature. And you do this and I do this and lawyers do this. It is in our nature, in our bones, that we are problem solvers and we are going to solve this problem. So my wife says to me, honey, I need to talk to you about something and I'm in solution mode right away. Mm-hmm. Now, guys, what do we know about that? Good or bad, right? Bad. Good. Right, right. right. They, just, they just want us to listen right, and they right. don't want us to solve. Now, right. if she says to me, I really need you to tell me what to do here. Well, then game on. Okay. But when it comes to business development, lawyers want to show how smart they are. They want to solve a problem. It's in their bones to do that. And what I'm suggesting in sales free selling, we need to stop prescribing and we need to spend more time diagnosing. And the mantra that cleans this up is prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. Right. And that's at the heart of what I'm teaching lawyers is we need to stop selling, solving, pitching. We need to spend more time listening, understanding, asking questions, going deeper, and ultimately demonstrate empathy that we understand and care about this person. And yes, of course, we can solve their problems, but it's not going to happen until basically they're ready to, you know, sign on the dotted line. Right. So let's kind of talk about an example. Let's say you've got a labor and employment litigator that's meeting with a VP of HR of a Fortune 500 company. And there is a specific issue and they've built the rapport, they've established the trust and they've got this banter going back, which is yep. authentic and it's congruent. And the labor and employment partner, she's getting good information from this client prospect. Yep. And now we've got all the data and now we know that the seeds have been sown. Basically, the client is telegraphing, I am ready to buy right now. What should that partner do? What should she do? How does she segue from diagnosing now, these are my solutions. How do you recommend? Okay, so number one is is there's two forms of 
information that we're getting in the discovery and in, in the questioning. One is what are called apparent reasons. Those are the things people just tell you flat out. So if I'm a lawyer coach, which I am, and lawyers tell me I'm not closing enough new business, I'm not networking effectively, I'm wasting a lot of time doing ineffective you know, social media activities that aren't getting me anywhere, okay? Yeah. That's the very beginning of the conversation. That's not the end of the conversation. I could solve for all three of those, but that's not where I want to be. I want to say, all right, so you're not getting in front of enough decision makers, Scott. Okay, I get that. Tell me why you think that is. Tell me what's going on. Tell me more, okay? And I want them to give me examples and tell me stories and explain it. I want to understand what they're maybe, uh, you know, how many did they need to get in front of versus how many they're actually getting in front of. All right, so if all of that goes well, and I understand now like cost, impact, you know, if this doesn't change, then what? All right, so that leads us to what I call compelling reasons. Compelling reasons are the personal emotional reasons that someone's going to change their current situation. So back to your example of the HR director, VP of HR, that the labor and employment attorney, if you have compelling reasons to change, meaning there's litigation, it's going to impact the company, it's going to impact that HR director uh, personally and emotionally, and it's it's going to be all-encompassing, they're looking for solutions. We're still not going to give those solutions yet. What we're going to do is we're going to spend a few more minutes qualifying. Mm. So there's questioning and there's qualifying. And so what happens is when we hear that they've got problems, we go into solution mode. And what I'm suggesting to people, slow down. Mm. Let's get a couple mm -hmm. other qualifiers on the table to make sure that we have someone that we can actually present to who's in a position to buy. Right. And what are those examples of qualifiers that we're okay. looking for? So there are four qualifiers. Number one is, do they have compelling reasons to change? Well, we just agreed that that HR director does or VP of HR, mm -hmm. that person has shared emotional, personal reasons why they need to take action on this particular situation with this terrible employee, okay, for example. Number two is, are they committed to change? Not hire us, but committed to change, committed to taking action, okay? So on a scale of one to 10, is this a 10 to take action or is this a one to not take action? Oh no, it's a 10. So now we understand from their perspective that this is a highly important and engaging thing to take action on. Versus them saying, well, you know, we're, we're considering our options yeah. and we'll give it some thought. Well, that's wishy-washy compared yeah. to what they had just shared, which was, again, emotional, personal, very costly reasons to make change. So it's possible that what this qualifying methodology does is it opens up opportunities to uncover lies or stalls. What they were really looking for is they're looking for free consulting so they can take it back to their current firm who doesn't know what the hell to do so yeah. they can coach them on what to do. Well, that's we don't want to provide that free consulting, that information. So we're not going to. By asking commitment questions, we can understand if it's real or if it's not better than if we never asked that question at all. So that's the second qualifier, Scott. That's great. Okay? That's great. The third one is where people get crushed continually. The third qualifier is on the decision maker. Now we assume because it's the VP of HR that this person is the ultimate decision maker to hire our firm. Is that the case? Maybe, maybe not. How do you find out? What do you do? Okay. So there are two important questions that you, if you're listening to this, you may want to write down because they can be a game changer as it relates to how you actually know that someone's in charge or not. The first question, and we don't want to ever say you're clearly not in charge, Barbara. <laughs> I can tell you're, you know, you're not. Well, that's not going to go over so well. So we have to come up with a crafty way of asking question without insulting the person we're talking to. So if the person's name is Barbara, I would say, you know, Barbara, great. You know, I'm, I'm sorry that this is so troubling for you, but I want to, you know, make sure that I just ask a few more questions. One of them is, other than yourself, Barbara, 
Is there anyone else at your organization involved in making a high impact decision like litigating or protecting you against litigation? And then zip it and wait. And Barbara's going to say, well, no, I'm the VP of, of HR. It's my decision ultimately. Fantastic. Fantastic. Barbara, if you wouldn't mind doing me a favor, you know, I know you've engaged law firms and you have a current law firm you're working with and, and considering changing. What's the process you go through to make a decision like bringing in a new lawyer, new law firm into your company in this form? And then again, zip it and wait. This is where the potential lie or stall or something comes out where she says, well, we're talking with you and a couple other lawyers to kind of figure out, you know, which direction we're going to go. Well, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I'm good thing I asked. Their process is they're talking with three lawyers. Maybe yeah. there's a panel. Maybe they've got an, someone else. They've got to run it. Well, I just need to get your proposal, Steve, and then I'll run it up the flagpole to the direct to the head of HR, my boss, and see what happens then. So now what do we know? Well, we know this person thinks they're in charge, but ultimately they're a part of the process or a part of the decision. But what's the problem with them, Scott, running it up the ladder to someone else? Somebody else can say no. Yeah. So they've just given you direct indication that while they're a part of the decision-making process, they're really not the ultimate decision maker. So as a lawyer, I wouldn't want to give my proposal, my ideas, my pricing and everything to that person. I would want to see if that person is now a fan and an advocate to get yeah. me to the right person and either have a one-on-one -on -one or a three-way talk with that head of HR. So that's the third qualifier is decision maker. And it's the most skipped of all of them that we just assume people are. And then we end up being ghosted and we get to, I wonder why. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The fourth one is financials. And this isn't a problem for some attorneys because they're they are understanding the firm that they're working with is charging $750 an hour and you're $650 an hour, and that's going to fall right in line. So we, we're not too worried about the financial qualifications. But mm -hmm. in certain situations with certain lawyers and certain companies, we do want to qualify, are they willing and able to invest? So asking them about their budget, asking them the last time they hired an attorney, what was that like? What did they charge you? How'd that go? It's like a, a guy coming into my into my house to redo my bathroom and walks through my kitchen and can see that we spent some dough on the kitchen, ask a few questions about it and identify, no, we're not the ones to nickel and dime on a bathroom. We're going to spend the money on a nice bathroom. Right. There's proof because we just spent it on the kitchen. This is great. So let me kind of summarize these four, and what do we call them? The four- Qualifiers. Okay, four qualifiers. Number one, do they have reasons to change? Number two, are they committed to change? Uh, number three- who else besides them is involved in making high impact decisions? So you're finding out who the decision maker is. Number four, yeah. the budget, yeah. the financial information. This is a good model, Steve. It's a solid <laughs> model, man. I've been teaching this for 20 years. And I'll tell you, the easiest way for a lawyer to think about this is, would you rather present solutions, your rates, solutions, solve problems to someone who you don't know what their what their compelling reasons are to change. You don't know that they're committed to change. You don't know that they're the decision maker and you don't know that they have the money. Or would you rather present solutions to people who are completely qualified on those four topics? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's a simple answer. But most lawyers don't do that because they've never been properly trained to ask those kinds of questions in that order, in that manner to get. And by the way, the best part is, uh, this is the dirty little secret I'll share. When you know everything, your presentation is spot on. You're not yeah. wondering what to present. You're not presenting about yeah. the firm when they don't care about that. Yeah. Okay. We're only presenting what they need to see here and experience. And the other part is when they're doing all the talking and you're doing all the listening, they start to believe that you're the best lawyer to solve their problems versus you having to tell them or yeah. sell them that you're the best lawyer for the problem. So everything works in your favor using a proven model 
that takes it away from selling and back onto sales-free selling. You're absolutely right. And what I've learned from my own experience is that people make a judgment about you based on the quality of questions that you ask. Absolutely. And because when I started in legal recruiting, I didn't know anything, so I couldn't say anything. <laughs> I would ask good questions. There you go. And they automatically assumed I knew what I was talking about. So anyways, that was a long time ago. Now, now I do know what I'm talking about. And you know what you're talking about, Steve. And what's interesting is that I feel that we have just hit the tip of the iceberg about the tip of the iceberg. So as we bring this to a close, if we could summarize, let's say, what are three action steps? If you could take this, synthesize it, distill it into three action steps our listeners can take to really get started implementing those ideas, what would those be? Yeah, I would say number one is you really need to, whether it's grab sales free selling or reach out to me directly, but but one thing I shared was about setting an agenda. I think that is a critical element to running an effective meeting. If you're not taking control of the meeting, I can guarantee you with some level of certainty that the prospect is going to be asking you all the questions. You're going to be giving the free consulting and not getting yeah. anywhere near where I'd like you to be as it relates to running that meeting. The second thing the takeaway would be just asking better questions, being prepared and writing down questions that are going to get to the heart of their issue that drives urgency to change. So it's not just a transactional decision, it's an emotional decision based on the questions you asked and how deep you go with that. And that's not easy to do, but it's important to do. And then the third thing is, if you're not qualifying, there's a very good chance that you're spinning your wheels and wasting time with people who aren't really good prospects for you and you're, you're giving you know, proposals, RFPs, you're spinning your wheels for weeks, chase or months chasing after them, thinking they're going to be your client and they're not. Yeah, that's so right. We really want to do a better job having a process to walk buyers through a buying decision versus sort of a selling and then hoping, which is a terrible place to be living in hope, waiting for that, you know, pipeline to come through for you when it's really not quite there. You're absolutely right, Steve. Thank you for being on my show today. This is really great content. We're going to put all the links on the show notes for your services. We'll put your LinkedIn there. We'll put links for your books on there. But tell us about some of the other offerings, the things that you want our listeners to know about your services. Yeah, and I'll keep it really simple. I only do two things. Number one is I put individual lawyers through an MBA-style program that includes the training on the topics and a lot more than I covered today with one-on-one coaching. And I found that those two things together, training and coaching over about eight months is allowing lawyers to internalize how to do business development so they never need me again and they never have to worry about business development again. It's now a part of them and a part of what they own for the remainder of their career. So it's sort of like pay your dues and then you know, you're good after that. And so I spend 30 to 45 minutes meeting with attorneys all week evaluating them not only on their needs for my services, but also qualifying them on their commitment to change and commitment to invest time, money, and energy to change their current situation so they can become a rainmaker and then talk to you, Scott, about getting out of a bad situation, <laughs> all right? The other thing I do that most people don't know, but it's it's really been amazing, is I run five peer advisory groups for lawyers that are already rainmakers. So That's people great. that are already killing it, crushing it, doing all this great stuff, but they don't want to take their foot off the pedal and they want to hear from other attorneys who are successful. And I get them together monthly to commiserate and talk about uh, business development, marketing, culture, and uh, work with them as a group, as a facilitator to help them develop, you know, the biggest book they can develop. And by the way, 
also to create balance and enjoy their career and enjoy their life because it's not just about work, right? We have to have a well-balanced life. And so the lawyers that I work with tend to have that in spades versus the people who are, you know, just, just kind of kicking the can down the road about how to grow a book. And, you know, it's unfortunate. They're going to figure it out. I get calls from people in their late fifties and sixties that say, geez, I wish I had done this in my 30 and forties, but everybody's got to come, come to it at their own time, Scott. That's right, Steve. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for your wisdom. I'd love to have you back on here. And again, thanks for all the great advice that you shared with everybody today, Steve. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.